and welcome to the Circular Economy Show podcast. This podcast is part of a series that features conversations from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation Summit that happened earlier this year. In this episode, we'll learn more about how new materials can help accelerate the shift to a circular economy. We will also catch up on a few conversations my colleague Seb and I had with Pascal Chavon de Zernay, Chief Sustainability and Government Affairs Officer at Solvay, Liz Corbin, the co-CEO and founder of Materium, and Nikta Hamidi, Associate Director of Policy and Partnerships at Ginkgo Bioworks. Seb started by asking Pascal how the company as big and as diverse as Solvay can switch to a more circular approach. Clearly, you see the, the lead of the CEO is, is fantastic, and this is the number one uh, criteria. Uh, but beyond that, uh, let's say at Solvay, we have uh, embedded, uh, you know, the uh, um, sustainability in our, in our purpose, right? We, we bond people, ideas, and elements in order to reinvent progress. We could translate that into a circular economy, you know, because the bonding is absolutely essential. We need to connect. We, need, we, we have been creating alliances. We, we need to have a lot of different partnerships. Ilam just mentioned a few, you know, with Renault on, on the batteries, uh, and, and there are a lot of others. So, uh, and, and indeed, we need to recreate, rethink the way uh, we design our product. We need to get out of this image that chemistry creates the problems. Chemistry is really creating the solutions across the value chain because we have to think in terms of raw material, indeed, biosourcing and also more recycled-based materials, but also, and this is even more important, the way we help our own customers, you know, in order to let them become circular, you know, you are an enabler, that, that's typically the case of battery, until the end of life. Because at the end of life, we are requested at Chemical to design sometimes products which, which are biodegradable and sometimes products which are persistent. How we manage the persistence at the end, you know? And we have to, to do that in an holistic way and holistic is really the key words, you know, on the value chain. So you're looking at across a really large portfolio. Yeah. So we're also joined by representatives from Materium and Ginkgo Bioworks. Starting with you, Liz, what is Materium? Um, Materium's a, a platform in the simplest explanation, um, but we often say that we're, we're sort of not just a tech platform, although we do rely on tech quite a lot. We're more of a, um, a data commons and a community. So we're really, what we're aiming for is to kind of do a transformational shift um, in the way that materials are produced and used. Um, specifically, now we're focused on plastics, really trying to def- transform that economy from a very centralized and linear one that's designed for petrochemical plastics to one that's highly distributed um, and really designed for renewable and abundant uh, sources. We often say that we like to see the future of the plastics industry is similar to renewable energy, where it's based on renewables and it's highly adaptive to place rather than predicated on a kind of centralized global economy. Um, and that's possible. Now we're seeing you know, success stories of biomaterials and regenerative materials in the hundreds. We'd like to see it in the thousands, um, maybe the tens of thousands, whatever we need to get the job done. Um, and that's where Materium comes in. So we're, we're 
providing the data commons and the open tools and the community to really support those early stage participants to scale and also to create far more diversity and participation in the regenerative materials economy than what you normally see today. So Liz, I understand what you're saying is that the sort of mission of your organization in some ways is to accelerate the transformation to re renewable materials. Just pretend for a minute that I'm not very smart. What exactly, it might not be that hard for you, what exactly do you mean when you say tech? What is your tech doing? Ooh, well, sure, okay. We'll do in this together. We'll go, on a journey. we'll go on a journey together. <laughs> so um, we normally, um, we're really leveraging two types of tech. One, open data, and two, um, artificial intelligence, specifically data mining and active learning. So uh, the, one of the major issues right now is that data on regenerative materials is incredibly fragmented. It's largely academic, you can find it in hundreds of thousands of scientific papers, and they're all using discipline-specific jargon. Engineers, material scientists, I'm one of them, so I can say we're sort of the worst in terms of like accessible language. Um, so one of the things that Materium does is we use data mining to collect the 100 to 500,000 unique material formulations for biomaterials. And we put that into one place, which is a data commons, completely open source and accessible to all, in a really user-friendly way, in a searchable way. So all of a sudden, the world's knowledge of how to create high-performance biomaterials is at your fingertip. We then pair that with an active learning algorithm that can do the hard searching for you. So if you are a biomaterial developer and you're partnering with a consumer brand and you've come together and said, okay, these are our performance goals. It has to have this shore hardness or this um, compressive strength. And also here are our impact goals. It needs to have this amount of CO2 reduction, this type of um, organic content. It's like an Ask Jeeves for it renewable materials. It's sort of like that. So if you input those performance goals, the active learning engine will actually identify high potential and promising formulations for you, which then as a team, you can go forward to rapidly synthesize, test, and ensure which direction you want to go forward with. So what we're basically trying to do is petrochemicals has about 100 years on us. They've been developing through trial and error and quite a lot of investment over the last 100 years to produce these really seemingly perfect performative materials, we're trying to put that 100 years in about 10 so that the material developers and the brands that we're seeing really trying to commit to more regenerative materials actually have the data, the tools, and the community they need at their fingertips to rapidly get to market much faster. Mm, so making this data more accessible. Great. So Nikta, you're from Ginkgo Bioworks. Could you tell us more about what you do? Yeah, absolutely, and thank you for having me here today. I'm excited to share with you why Ginkgo Bioworks fits into the circular economy platform, and then, of course, to hear from all of you, because it sounds like we're so aligned and we've never sat here together uh, before this moment. So going backwards, biology is the native language of the environment. Uh, cells manufacture things all the time without any human intervention. At Ginkgo, what we're doing is using synthetic biology, which is a technology to produce uh, organisms and molecules, again, using biology as the tool behind them. And we've talked today about regenerative materials all day. Ginkgo Bioworks is a platform 
using that, uh, the, the biological processes I mentioned to, to deliver regenerative ingredients. Um, Ginkgo works as a platform, so you can think of us as an Amazon Web Services for synthetic biology. So when we talk to our customers, we know that becoming more circular is, of course, difficult, and these targets are difficult to, to reach. So we work with them, and we understand what is it that we can do by leveraging biology to, to deliver the molecules that you need. Um, so there's a few different ways. So, of course, in some cases, companies are already using uh, regenerative materials in their supply chains. But those materials are still derived from nature. They might be difficult to harvest. And while they're regenerative, they're still not as efficient as they'd like, in which case, of course, Ginkgo can support them. And then there's the cases where companies do have pain points in their supply chains, something that's keeping them from being circular, something that's keeping them from reaching another target. And again, we leverage the uh, engineering of a cell to provide that exact molecule that they're looking for. And this is across industries, I think safe to say every industry that's included today. So of course, food and pharma, which we've heard examples of for years, but now cosmetics, materials, energy, you name it. So synthetic biology is kind of like chemistry, right? There's something about the opportunity of it. It's, it's presumably it's not ubiquitously good. How do you orientate that towards regenerative or circular principles? What do you need to do to ensure those positive outcomes are happening? Yeah, I mean, I think by definition, the industry, this industry, synthetic biology, it's as circular as it, as it gets. If you really want to look into the processes, we start out with ingredients as simple as yeast and sugar and a big fermentation tank, and you design for the product that you're looking for. So imagine creating an ingredient without the plant. This is already being done with many examples. Rose oil is one. Instead of an entire uh, plant, you have just the ingredient. Uh, and then, alternatively, you can look at plant, uh, animal-based products. So imagine if you could derive squalene without the whale. And again, this is already being done by the industry. So to me, that's as circular as it gets. And that's what really excites me about it. It paired me with all the scientists, Maya. Um, Pascal, um, how, so, you know, diving, I asked this question to Ilam as well. Kind of how does a company like Solvay approach accelerating innovation? You know, some of the things that we're hearing from the other panelists. You know, if we think about something like renewable materials, for instance, what can you do in that space to make progress? That, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, the first one is, is really, um, <clears throat> in my view, uh, to, to protect the innovation. So it's all about innovation, right? So what we are doing at Solvay is we creating platforms. So we have platforms on, on batteries. We have platform on hydrogen. We have platform also on, on thermoplastic composite materials, very new. And we have one for which we may contact together because it's exactly everything linked to biosourcing, biodegradability, and biotechnology. So, so the, the concept is to isolate a little bit this new platform from the day-to-day -day business in order to protect, adapt a, a, a governance which helps them to grow and help them also to partners and find partners with a lot of agility because this new concept cannot be developed by the company alone. So, so we, need, we need to partners. We need to partners with data platforms. We need to partners with solution providers. Uh, I was talking previously uh, end-of-life materials. Let's say we have, we, we, we have developed partnership with uh, Carbios, for example, for enzymatic solutions, that's for end-of-life of product. And, and we have much more. So, so 
protecting innovation through dedicated, let's say, uh, uh, entities and partnering as much as possible in a, with a lot of agility. I would say that's the two, the two levers. So, Pascal, I'm, I'm hearing that you definitely need partners to scale, and the question of scale is a really important one, especially um, in your field. So, Liz and Nikta, I have a question for both of you. Um, what is exciting in your world, and how do we put it to scale? So, whoever can answer first, go ahead. Go ahead, you're an Okay, one. I'll take a crack. Um, one of the things that we're focused on from the scaling question is um, feedstock harvesting which maybe a lot of people don't find that exciting. I think we do. <laughs> um, maybe it's a niche interest. But we're at Materium, it, it's, of course, you can design a material to be organic in nature um, from a content perspective and to ensure that it fully biodegrades and it can become uh, nutrient-rich additives for soil and so on. But at the same time, you also must consider how that feedstock is harvested at the start of the chain. And for us, we really look to nature to help guide us with that. So the hundreds of biomaterial recipes that we have on the platform right now are actually derived from around 12 to 15 biopolymers. And that's very like indicative of nature, right? Nature can produce a huge diverse array of solutions and materials all from a very common set of building blocks. And you can find those building blocks abundantly everywhere. So the, the small number of biopolymers we're using, you can derive from a vastly diverse um, set of feedstocks. And that's critical because to move into a regenerative future, it's absolutely paramount that we don't overexploit specific source uh, ecosystems or um, source resources. And that's the, the piece of the puzzle that we're working on most specifically now is really helping to provide geospatial specific data on feedstock diversity and feedstock supply so that we can really support regional value chains and ensuring that they're sourcing responsibly and diversifying their, their supply. So that's, and I think um, synthetic biology is a huge part of that. I think leveraging non-primary feedstocks is a huge part of that. So also on the platform, we have massively deprioritized primary feedstocks, specifically those that compete for land use and, and food security. And we're really incredibly surprised with the diversity of high-performance materials you can produce from unavoidable food waste and byproducts, unavoidable byproducts from different value chains. So that's something that we're very much looking into. And, and I'll speak uh, somewhat to my excitement around the entire industry, not just what we're doing at Ginkgo, but they go hand in hand. And some context for you is Ginkgo Bioworks went public last year, where we're very proud in the largest biotech IPO in history. And the reason I share that is because I think it's indicative of the trust that the public has and the excitement and belief that the public has in a platform that can use biology to make ingredients more sustainable or supply chains more resilient. Um, and it's not just that. I think the timing of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation having so much content featuring the word biology uh, is another indication there. And then if you look at trends and uh, you know, the, the decreasing cost of DNA, reading, writing, and synthesis, and then the needs of our planet, which all of our speakers have alluded to today, it just demonstrates that biomanufacturing is not a shift that might happen. It's one that has already begun to happen. 
Um, so that's one thing that makes me very excited. Now, what does that mean for Ginkgo? The novel aspect of being on a platform is the more work we do, the better our platform gets and the better we hope that the industry gets. And so we're not limited by any means to a single industry or a single ingredient or a single molecule. I pointed to some examples in the beauty industry because that's more interesting to some than pharmaceuticals, but their list is really endless. So imagine if you can make polyester without the petrochemicals. We're already making uh, you know, alternative meat items without the animals. Um, there's a whole list of, medi um, of essential medicines from the World Health Organizations that people don't realize are still derived from natural products. And so the opportunities are vast and huge. And I think coupling the excitement from the industry and the excitement from, uh, you know, from like, again, like when we went public, along with the needs of the planet, and then seeing our platform get better and better putting more products on our platform, it really goes hand in hand. Sounds like kind of momentum building in all three of your stories. And I guess we could talk for longer. Unfortunately, we can't actually talk for longer this time. Um, but thank you so much, Nita, Liz and Pascal. So we can see that cutting edge material innovation plays a central role in eliminating waste and making supply chains more robust. What's really exciting is that they're becoming more and more scalable. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe and share. Till next time.